view of what the Hujjaj are really going through in their lives as they proceed with the journey of Hajj. From the very beginning, making the niyyah, applying for the accreditation, receiving the accreditation, understanding this new process, this novel process of accreditation as far as how it affects our spirituality is concerned. In this program, we will learn about the true meaning of the niyyah, especially in relation to Hajj, about the etiquettes of traveling, especially in relation to Hajj. Being among your brothers and sisters, your fellow Hujjaj and Mu'atamirin, understanding what the spiritual experience of Ihram is and what it ought to be, understanding our behavior and what, what it should be in the holy city, in the holy grounds of Madinat al-Munawwara, what the experience is like in terms of visiting the Prophet Wasallam's Qabr, and what we're supposed to be feeling at that moment. We will also look at some lighter issues like the shopping and recreational experiences of the Hujjaj, which has always formed a huge part of our cultural experience of Hajj. How to express yourself in terms of your desire for going on Hajj, your yearning to be there with the Hujjaj, and then when you are there, when things go right and things go wrong, how to express satisfaction and dissatisfaction in those moments. We will look at the holy grounds of Makkah, what makes it holy and what type of behavior is appropriate and what isn't. How to spend time in the Haramain. Now this is one of the most important elements of our discussion of this program because our Hujjaj go away for quite a long period of time, even though Hajj is really only a few days. Al-Hajj Ashru Ma'lumat, the months of Hajj are the well-known months, but they happen to be Shawwal, Dhul Qa'dah, and the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah, and more specifically from the eighth day onwards for five days. Hajj is five days. But what really should one understand about those five days? And also, very importantly, how to spend one's time for the six weeks or the seven weeks or the five weeks. And as we know, the time period is getting shorter and shorter as far as how long one is able to spend in the Haramain. So it is even more important and emphasized that we spend our time in the most productive and in the best of ways. We will explore the feelings of Hajj, understanding that Hajj is not just about rituals, but it's also about a psychological and emotional transformation, that we earn some spiritual maturity on this journey. But Yes, first and foremost, it is an ibadah. It is an ibadah that represents the pinnacle of the life of ibadah of a believer. And because it is the pinnacle, because it is the fifth pillar of Islam and not the first or the second, it is important for us to understand how to maximize this integral part of our life, this part that's supposed to represent the pinnacle of our life, not the climax, not the, the, the pinnacle in the sense of it's the highest point of ibadah and then from that point onwards it's only downhill, but rather 
that we strive to make this point so high that the rest of our lives have a standard to look up to, to live up to, and that we know for the rest of our life really what is important and what isn't. So then very importantly, we also look at the return home. How to guarantee the change in me? How to guarantee the change in my life? I've undertaken this huge journey, this huge monumental act of ibadah for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do I now live out my hajj? This is one of the most important questions that we're looking to cover in this particular series, inshallah ta'ala. So do join us on a weekly basis where we look at Hajj, the journey of the hearts. I'll be your host throughout, inshallah ta'ala. And I will share not only the perspective from the Quran and Sunnah, and I probably shouldn't call that perspective. It's in fact the, the framework of Quran and Sunnah as far as Hajj is concerned. And then our perspective on that framework. But I'll also be sharing some of my personal experience that I've been so fortunate to be blessed with over the last um, few years, over the last few years of formal Hajj that is, and what exactly I observed during those moments, spending time with the guests of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and being a guest of Allah myself. This journey is such an all-encompassing journey. It's not just a bodily journey. It's not just a financial journey. It's not just a spiritual journey. It's a full life experience that one attains within a very short period of time. Such a powerful transformation exists in very few other areas of life. But the believer has the ultimate journey in Hajj. It's not a journey, as we said, of just the body and just the finances, but it's the journey of all of you. It's the journey of the heart. So together, if you join us, inshallah ta'ala, on this journey, we will be learning how, even though we may not be from among the hujjaj, we will still be able to have a transformational experience as far as our hearts are concerned. And if nothing else, then at least through this journey together and through our programs together, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give our hearts and souls that inspiration and that motivation as well as that blessing to be from among the hujjaj very soon. Ameen, Ya Rabbal Alameen. So join us on a weekly basis, inshallah ta'ala, and we'll take on this journey together. Barakallahu feekum, and we'll be back right after the break. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ahlan wa sahlan. Welcome back. In this program, Hajj, the journey of the hearts, we begin our discussion where I think all of us really understand where Hajj begins. This is because we've heard many a times that Hajj begins with the niyyah. And of course, we know that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also said, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَىٰ فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِلدُّنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا أَوْ إِمْرَأَةٍ يَنْكِحُهَا فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ أَوْ كَمَا قَالَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ We've heard this hadith being narrated many, many times before in various contexts because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that actions are only by the intentions and each person will only have what he or she had intended. So whosoever performs the hijrah, which was the migration from Mecca to Medina in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa then 
if they perform that hijrah for the sake of God and his messenger, then that hijrah will indeed be for the sake of God and his messenger. But if they perform that hijrah for some worldly reason, or because they were promised marriage by a particular individual that they desire, and then they perform the hijrah, so they conclude the same action. They perform the same action, but with different undertakings, with different reasons and objectives. Then, if it's for a dunya reason, or for any other reason besides Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa they will perhaps attain the objective, but that's it, and nothing more. So this is a very formal undertaking, this is a very formal understanding of the niyyah, right? But when it comes to hajj, our more than 300-year-long legacy in the Cape of Good Hope probably means that we've heard make your niyat stirk, right? Make your niyat very strong. I can hear these words being spoken by the likes of my grandfather, my grandmother, my mother, my father, rahimahullah ta'ala, and others who have undertaken this journey. I can hear these words being spoken among the poorest in our community, as well as the most affluent. When it came to Hajj, everyone just seems to be aware of the fact that you're not going to get anywhere unless you make your niyyah firm. Now, we know that the niyyah is important because other than the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that we just mentioned a moment ago, we also know that in the Shafi'i school of thought, which is what uh, is predominantly followed in the Cape of Good Hope, the niyyah is an integral part of every act of ibadah. Many spend uh, painstaking hours learning and memorizing various formulae uh, for the niyyah. Nawaitu an usalliya fardal maghrib, etc. And while this is not necessary, we've always come to learn that saying the niyyah is recommended because it strengthens the heart. It makes the heart understand what the undertaking is. When it comes to hajj and people say, really what they are saying is, you need to have resolve. You need to have not just this whimsical desire, oh, I'd like to go and hajj one day, but, oh Allah, I am going to undertake the hajj for your sake. In fact, oh Allah, I am undertaking the hajj for your sake. And then putting your money where your mouth is and starting to save. This was the procedure many years ago. When I was growing up and my parents were saving for their fard hajj, this is how the system worked. They would first make that resolve, then take action towards that resolve. They would then sign up for hajj classes, right? And hajj classes at that time was usually at least one year long, sometimes more. What is it that they were learning? What is it that they were doing? There was no accreditation system. There was no waiting for your name to appear on a particular list. The only list that you were concerned with was Allah's list of those who he would be inviting to Baytullah al-Haram. Now things are somewhat different. Since, you know, the population of Muslims had grown and certain measures needed to be put in place, and uh, some of that we are very comfortable with and other things, unfortunately, uh, mean that our visitations to Mecca, Medina, and for the journey of Hajj becomes limited and restricted. No longer do we find people having the ability to perform Hajj year in and year out, year after year. Why? Simply because even though they may have the money, 
the system of accreditation and you know limiting the number of pilgrims on the sacred journey means that yes on the one hand you'll be limited but on the other hand more muslims will be able to visit the sacred lands whether we agree with it or disagree with it this is the situation that we face as we speak and of course we know that in the last two years three years it has become it has become somewhat impossible for many people at least in their minds but when it comes to matters like this nothing is impossible for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is the amazing part about it despite the challenges that may come despite the hurdles that may be put into the path those who had made a sincere resolve to undertake this journey for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala amazingly miraculously you will find them overcoming all of those hurdles you will find them despite all odds and against all odds standing in the plains of arafah not being the most affluent of people but they had the strongest resolve they saved their money they went through the procedures so what are those procedures at least today we are no longer dealing with that type of situation as we did many years ago today the procedure is somewhat different so we cannot possibly speak about the true meaning of the niyyah without looking at this very serious issue in front of us how does the system of having to put one's name onto a list to be accredited sometime in the future whether it be 2 years or 3 years or 4 years allah alone knows how long it is now with the hope that our name will appear and then we'll be accredited for hajj not knowing what our situation will be at that moment not knowing whether we'll be ready at that moment how do we really understand this how do we make sense of this in light of how our parents used to do it so to understand this from both a shar'i as well as a real perspective stay tuned as we'll discuss exactly this point after the break inshallah ta'ala bismillah rahman rahim alhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ba'd assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh ahlan wa sahlan welcome back to hajj the journey of the hearts How is that journey commenced today? How does one commence the journey of Hajj in the year 2022? Let's say there's a young man or young lady 20 years of age and they look at their future, at least they plan for their future and they see okay they'd like to get married, they'd like to start working and save money and so on and then hopefully when they are about 25 or 28 years of age they'd like to go for Hajj. Assuming that this young man and young lady has the you know priorities in order if they thinking about hajj at the age of 25 or 28 that means that they would in all likelihood have to put their name on a list of accreditation for hajj now because there's a waiting list because there's this list that's outside of our control that is not in the in the orbit of the heavens you know it's not written down by the angels it's our own human list that is needed because of logistics and so on but it's different to how our parents had to undertake this journey the only list they waited for was allah's list you know allah's list that he gives to the malaika that these are the pilgrims who will be standing on arafah this year so people had a lot of control over when they would be going on hajj they could decide okay in the year 2000 for example they'll be going on hajj or in the year 1995 they'll be going on hajj and the only obstacles that would exist uh, generally speaking right would be the obstacles of the finance 
there would be no issues with visas or quotas or certain age restrictions or anything of that sort. Generally speaking, the major obstacle was the financial obstacle. Bearing in mind that in the year 2000, you could perform Hajj for 20,000 Rand per person. And I'm, I'm specifically mentioning this because I remember more or less what my parents had paid uh, in that particular year. Subhanallah, things are very different now. Today, you perhaps are not ready to go and Hajj. You have no intention to go and Hajj whatsoever. But you're thinking ahead and you look at your life uh, in five years' time, seven years' time, and you think, okay, I'd like to perform Hajj then. So what do you do? You put your name on the list today. Yet today, you're not making salah. Today, you don't have a cent to your name. Today, you're still busy planning uh, your wedding that's going to happen in one or two years' time. Today, you're perhaps not even walking on the Sirat al-Mustaqim, um, and perhaps you don't even put your own name on the list. Maybe it's your spouse that puts your name on the list. Maybe it's your parents who put your names on the list. So you have no intention at this moment in time as your parents or your grandparents had. When our mothers and fathers, may Allah bless them or grant them a nur in their graves, when they started their journey, when they started their niyyah to be more exact, it was the day they dropped the first deposit at the bank or it was the day they signed up for that hajj class, years ahead of their actual journey. They slowly prepared their hearts, their minds and their souls to undertake this journey. And the day that they, that they booked their package, you know, they booked it knowing that they would be performing Hajj within six months' time or something of that sort. There was no sudden list appearance and sudden deadline for booking an agent and sudden, you know, a deadline for having enough money. Things were very different. Does this have an effect on the ibadah itself? No, it doesn't affect one standing on Arafah, if that's what the question means. But it certainly has an effect on the condition of the heart of those undertaking the ibadah. The condition of one's heart has a huge impact on the quality of hajj. So, as opposed to the past where people would perhaps be attending hajj classes for two, three years, maybe even repeating that hajj class, that same class, that same course, for a few years before actually undertaking the journey of Hajj. Today, often Hujjaj are looking for crash courses so that they can get in as much information as possible because they didn't quite expect to be performing Hajj so suddenly. They didn't know that there would be Hajj this year. Maybe the Hajj has been put off for two years because of the pandemic. Maybe they thought that they'd be ready, but you know, the financial situation that they, that they experienced over the last couple of months or years changed things drastically. Today, your niya needs to be formulated when you get an SMS saying that you've been accredited for Hajj. Do you recall the day that perhaps you were accredited the very first time? I remember it was late one night and I was in Gordons Bay and my wife received an SMS quite late that night and I wondered who it was. And then she, she basically screamed and I thought, subhanAllah, who passed away? And then she came running inside and saying, we, we just got accredited for Hajj. And subhanAllah, at that time, immediately my thoughts go to, are we ready for this? And then I thought, I shouldn't be asking, are we ready for this? Uh, simply because of the situation. 
You know, it's, it's not just about finance. Let's say, I'll be ready for this. And I thought, subhanAllah, this is just so different to the experiences of the hujjaj in the past. They didn't have a sudden SMS and then all of a sudden they need to make a decision and then sign up. No, they had time to really find their resolve, find their feet. So with things being so different, how does this impact what have I witnessed? Let's just go back for a second to ask what is a niya firstly? Because this is where the impact really takes place. Niya, niya, the word niya is an Arabic word and an Islamic concept referring to the intention one evokes in one's heart to, to do an act for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that, that niya from a shara'i perspective must accompany the beginning of that act of ibadah. So for example, with salah, the niya isn't really what you say as in nawaitu an usalliya farda salat. That is a formula that assists one to develop a niya in one's heart. But the true niya is being acutely aware of exactly what salah one is undertaking at the moment of saying Allahu Akbar. So the moment we first pronounce the words Allahu Akbar, at that moment, we need to be acutely aware of the fact that this is a fard salah, it is maghrib salah, it is three rakaat, it is on time, it is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of those beautiful things. So our scholars made a formula for us where we say all of those things out loud to ourselves. And when we say those things, the idea is that we're supposed to be reminding our heart of what it is that we are doing. This is the very formal shari sense of a niyyah. And as we mentioned earlier, in hajj, this is not necessarily what people refer to. They didn't refer to the niyyah that you need to have when you enter into ihram, right? Labbaik Allahumma hajjan, you know, for example. This is not that niyyah. What people really meant was, make the niyyah that you will undertake the journey for hajj. Make the niyyah that you will save money to go on hajj. Make the niyyah that you will proceed to be of the hujaj in that particular year. This is what our people generally refer to as the niyyah. So why is this important? What makes the niyyah so important? Well, we know from, again, the Shari perspective is that the value of every deed lies in the intention and motive behind it, not merely in the deed itself. Thus, one will be judged by the intentions rather than the deed. So, two people can do exactly the same action. One will be greatly rewarded for undertaking that action because they've done an act of ibadah, while the other one won't be rewarded at all because they did that action for a non ibadah purpose. For example, two people could give the same amount of money in charity. The one person gives 100 rand and does so purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The other person also gives 100 rand, but the reason for giving it was so that the person that they were with on that day could think of them as being very charitable so that the person would like them so that they could get a particular job. This is just a hypothetical example. But just to demonstrate that when we do an action, an action for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is imperative that we know very well why we are doing that action, right? This makes an aniyah ultimately important. It is the intention behind an action that gives the action value or not. So the niyyah, other than, you know, just being the objective, is also the compass. 
it is the compass that points us in the direction of attaining a particular objective. When one wants to go to a particular destination, let's say a shop, your compass or your niya is to go to the shop. And any distractions that you get along the way, whether that be a friend stopping you in the road and starting to have a conversation, or whether that be, you know, you're passing by a different shop and you see that there's something else that you perhaps needed at this shop, all sorts of distractions will eventually be eliminated or placed aside once more so that the greater objective, the compass, is followed, so that you end up at the destination that you wanted to end up at. This is resolve. This is where we really become decided about a particular venture. And this decision would then inspire action. Action of saving money, action of not wasting money, action of attending, you know, knowledge-seeking ventures such as attending a Hajj class or reading books on Hajj or learning more online about Hajj in whichever form of exploration that is. But the near is what drives all of that. And the niya that the hujjaj made was so profound that it would allow for a lady who earns no salary to do whatever it takes, whether that be in the classical form of making kusistas and selling it on a Sunday morning or rolling out some wasa leaves and selling that for extra rands and cents, putting all of that money together, right? Standing for long hours on a flea market in the hot sun and sacrificing so much, putting all of their money away, all so that they can stand before the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and chant, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik. This is the niyyah. And this niyyah for the hujjaj in Yastiyah was formulated years before they undertook the hajj. Today, even though we put our name on an accreditation list years before we undertake the hajj, it's not the same thing because when we put our name on that list, at that time, we have no intention of standing on the plains of Arafah within that year or the following year or the following year. We're thinking, look, the list takes about three, four, five years. I'm not sure exactly how long it takes any longer, but it takes a significant period of time. So hopefully when the name appears in the list or when it's our turn, inshallah, we'll be ready for Hajj. So it's a niya to make a niya to go and hajj. It's a very different type of uh, situation. And then, you know, things happen, people cancel, people defer, etc. So the list is radical. The list changes suddenly. So you have your initial accreditation list. Um, let's say the quota for that particular year is 2,500. And then 2,500 names appear on the list and your name isn't there. So you think, okay, it's not this year, it's next year. And, you know, then you start thinking in that sense. All of a sudden, the list changes, 500 people cancelled, and now, lo and behold, you receive an SMS. Sometimes people are not financially ready. Sometimes they are not ready because they haven't begun their niya yet, right? They haven't really made that niya, that resolve, that I am going to be from among the hujaj this year. So they haven't attended any classes. They haven't saved any money. They haven't put anything into place. And lo and behold, the SMS comes through. And they see this SMS and it says, Oh, person X, you have been accredited for Hajj in the year 1443. Please confirm your accreditation acceptance by this, this particular date. Now, 
assuming that all of what I just said is, uh, you know, applicable in your case, that you're not ready financially or any other way, and you receive this SMS, imagine the psychological impact that this has on that person. Yes, they do want to perform Hajj. They know it is an obligation. They know it is one of the five pillars of Islam. It's something that they must do. And they know that they want to do it correctly. And they know that they're not ready for it right now. But to turn down an SMS like that, to say no to the invitation, it feels to many people like this invitation, this SMS came straight from Allah. That Allah sent you an SMS from the Sama. And you've now been called because we've always heard people saying, you know, when you are called, when you are called, when it is your time. And now we equate the timing of this SMS with our timing on the list of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though we have no evidence whatsoever that it is the same thing. Is this the calling? This SMS that I got despite not being ready whatsoever to undertake Hajj? I'm not even steadfast on my deen as it is but I'm scared to turn away this accreditation because when will it ever come again, right? Would I be held accountable on the day of Qiyamah for saying no to this accreditation because I didn't feel like going at the time? These are some of the challenging thoughts that Hujjaj undertake. The breadwinner of the family looks at the financial situation and the mother looks at how young the children are or whether they are ready to be left in the, in, the, in the care of others. These are situations that are unprecedented. And there's no real clear guidelines as far as what to do, right? Should you accept? Shouldn't you accept? For many people, the only condition for acceptance of the accreditation or not is the financial situation. And this has never been the case with Hujjaj. Being ready was a case, was, was, was really a matter of being spiritually ready, right? Having the heart in the right place, being emotionally ready, being psychologically ready, and being ready from a knowledge perspective. This was a key element in terms of the readiness of the Hajj and Hajja in years gone by. Today, that is hardly a consideration. Often, Hujjaj who place themselves in the situation of accepting an accreditation despite not being by the means. And when I say by the means, I mean all of those things that I just mentioned. And then they put themselves in a very difficult situation because now people have seen that you've accepted your accreditation. People saw your name on the list. So now it becomes a matter of, but how can I do this and what will the people say, right? It becomes a matter of, um, no, Allah has called me and so we must just go. We must just make a plan because my name was on a list and therefore I must go. Come hell or high water, I will be going even if it means that I must put my family in a financially difficult situation or I must put my house on the line or something of that sort. Drastic measures. All because we've equated this new process of accreditation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decree. And it certainly isn't the same thing. The calling of Allah is something that is felt by the heart, not something that is felt by your smartphone. So the first point is that even though Allah could call you in this way, it could just be part of Allah's system that Allah decides to use these uh, messages that one receives to implant this feeling in one's heart. But don't for a second think that when you receive that SMS, that this is automatically a sign from the summer 
that we must undertake Hajj now, whether we are ready or not. What is more important than all of the above is that Hajj is only compulsory for those who are able to undertake the journey. And yes, there's a huge financial implication to that. The man doesn't, the money stata, there's no money in that word there. That's an Arabic word, man, whosoever, istata'a, is able, sabila, to find a way for hajj. In terms of knowledge, in terms of readiness of finance, family, abode, etc. Only when one is ready does hajj become obligatory. Hajj is not obligatory when you receive an SMS. Hajj is not obligatory because your name was on a particular list. Hajj is not obligatory because you have enough money only. Hajj is obligatory when you are by the means. And the means in our day and age is somewhat different to what the means was before. So we have to understand the psychological impact this has on our hujjaj. When now they are placed in a in an emergency situation, for lack of a better expression, within a particular time period, usually a very short time period, they have to accept that accreditation, they have to apply uh, for a particular package and accept a package, they have to accept an agent. All of this is on a life-changing decision that our parents and forefathers used to take years to do. We are forced to do that within a very short frame of time. This has an impact on the quality of one's labbaik because we find hujjaj with little to no knowledge approaching the plains of Arafah. We find people with little to no spiritual preparation, people who still haven't grasped the five daily prayers regularly in their lives, now feeling as though they have no other choice but to accept this accreditation and performing hajj. The situation is very different and it is important for us to wrap our minds around it because even though it may not be applicable to us now or it hasn't been applicable to us yet, because this is the system of present, we all need to be familiar with how to handle it when eventually it's our name that comes through on that list. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding and we'll be back shortly after the break inshallah. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We are back with Hajj, the journey of the heart. And we are now looking at the other side of the coin. So the Hajj or Hajja, or the intended Hajj or Hajja, I should say, now is put in an awkward situation because there's pressure. There's pressure from the accreditation organization. There's pressure from our family, and when I say our family, I mean our immediate family within the household. Either the wife is putting pressure on the husband or the husband is putting pressure on the wife. No, we can't ignore this. This is our calling. We must say yes. And then the other partner is put in a predicament because he or she may feel that we are genuinely not ready, but we have to do this anyways. There's pressure from the kids. There's pressure from one's work, right? Because this is a significant period of time that one needs to take leave for. So it's not the easiest thing, especially if you've recently taken leave or you just came out of a sticky situation at work. So there's pressure. 
there's pressure from the from the people in the community because people are calling you and saying, you know, I saw your name on the list and I'm making dua for you. And then there's pressure from our own nafs because of the embarrassment that we may face if we deny or we turn away this application or we defer this application. So all of this pressure plays a huge role as far as our ikhlas is concerned. Because not only do we have the, the challenge of keeping sincere for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fighting our nafs and fighting shaitan, we now have all of these other challenges around us. We, we have to you know, navigate the field to accept this particular accreditation and not let it be because of what the neighbors would say, what the parents would say, what the children would say, what the spouse would say, what the work would say, what the accreditation organization would say, what the agent who's been calling me would say. You know, this type of, of ikhlas is so important because if we fail here, then we fail being sincere in the most important or the, the most pivotal act of ibadah in our lives. So we know that a lot is on the line. If we fail here, we're thinking, subhanAllah, if I don't accept this accreditation, when is it ever going to come through again? Um, what, what will I answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of Qiyamah? So I will rather put myself in a difficult situation. The pressure is on whether I'm doing the right thing or not. Because remember, the, the conditions of being ready to go on hajj is that one leaves enough provision for one's family, one's dependents, in other words, for the entire journey, going and coming, that one is able to financially undertake this journey, going and coming, and not put anyone else in a difficult situation. We've seen so many hujjaj desperately, under all circumstances, against all odds, going to Makkah, but they basically just made payment. They just made payment maybe even receiving help from family and friends, nothing wrong with it. But perhaps they didn't fulfill their obligations properly. I've seen so many situations where hujjaj run out of money, literally run out of money, even though they didn't really do any shopping, but they've underestimated the cost of living. I've seen situations where hujjaj had to lend money on this journey of hajj. Again, it's not wrong, it's not sinful, but it's not ideal. Because if that's the situation here in Mecca or in Medina or on the days of Hajj, then did you leave anything back home for your family? We cannot change the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the law of Allah is wise because Allah is al-Hakim. And the law of Allah is that we should only undertake Hajj when it is obligatory upon us. And it's only obligatory once in a lifetime. And it is only obligatory when we can meet the conditions of Hajj. So as prohibitively, as, as prohibitively expensive as it is, and as difficult as the situation has become with the accreditation, we should never be steered by anything else except our decision for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our niyyah must importantly contain lillahi ta'ala, that it is for Allah's sake. Imagine just how great an impact it would be if one performs this amazing and pivotal act of ibadah that's supposed to be for Allah's sake and we ruin it by having other intentions, by having the intentions of, but if I don't go on hajj, then what? And what will my wife say? What will my husband say? What will my mother say? What will my father say? 
What will my neighbors say? What will my community members say? If we think like this, if we put ourselves under that level of pressure and then we give in to that pressure, then that means we are really, we are really having our hearts placed in the wrong investment, so to speak. And this is why I say that I've seen the quality of the hujaj being very different. And this is, of course, not uh, across the board. Some people, mashallah, they push through all of these challenges and they still come out on the other side. Strong hujaj. And you see their life changing in front of your eyes. And when they come back from hajj, they are changed people. But in then, uh, on the other side, we've also seen people who literally before one's eyes, you can see that they've placed themselves in a situation that they didn't quite expect and they find themselves in a very uncomfortable situation in, in Makkah, on the journey of Hajj itself. Um, not even, you know, when they get home. And then this, of course, has a lasting impact because you don't get a do-over. The days of going on Hajj two, three, four, five times in one's lifetime, those days are practically over. I was very fortunate to be leading hujjaj and therefore having repeated opportunities far less than some of the other spiritual leaders, so to speak, before. But still, I'm very grateful. And it has taught me so much, alhamdulillah, that I am hoping to be able to share with you in this program, bi'idnillah ta'ala. So let us, not, let us not take this matter lightly. Things are different, but it just means that the challenge is greater and therefore overcoming that challenge will be more significant and even more rewarding, inshaAllah ta'ala. And when we manage to overcome all of those challenges and still stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, labayk Allahumma labayk, that it will be a monumentally different experience for all of us. And it is something that we should be appreciative of because the more difficult Hajj becomes, the more valuable it will become. Not only in our lives and in our minds and hearts and souls, but also on the scales on the day of Qiyamah. Because the more difficult an ibadah is, generally speaking, the more rewards it will bring from Allah, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal. Don't go away, stay tuned and we'll be right back after this break with our conclusion. Bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum. Welcome back to Hajj, Journey of the Hearts. I'm your host, Malana Irshad Siddiq. And now we've covered various aspects of the Niyyah of Hajj and specifically this new novel accreditation process and how it affects the Niyyah. We've seen that the Niyyah is supposed to be only for Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Niyyah is a resolve. It is an undertaking it is a direction, a compass that we use that, that causes us to be moved towards the actions that will realize that. And then it qualifies that ibadah as being ibadah. It makes it acceptable for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if it is only for the sake of Allah. The accreditation process places certain obstacles in our path. It doesn't make one insincere, but it places more obstacles in one's path that may cause a problem with the intention. It may be that we accept the process as a calling from Allah. It may be that we look at this as, you know, we just have to accept it regardless of our financial circumstance, regardless of our emotional, spiritual, psychological circumstance. We just have to accept it because 
of the pressures that we spoke about from the community, from family, from friends, etc. All of this leaves the hujjaj in a very precarious situation where they may be doing hajj without fulfilling the necessary conditions of hajj, without being by the means. That's a huge problem and it could affect the status of our souls when we stand in Arafah. Similarly, if we accept hajj and we perform hajj not because we are ready, but because we are expected to be ready by others, this has a huge problem on the validity of our niyyah and on the sincerity of our niyyah. Now Allah is merciful and Allah could assist us if we pray to him, he could assist us in reforming that niyyah and rectifying the situation before it is too late. But we hope and pray that we don't find ourselves in that situation. So how do we get out of it? How do we make sure that we overcome these challenges in our day and age? The first, the first point of order is that we learn about the Hajj first. This may sound strange because it goes against the order of how things used to run culturally. But from an Islamic perspective, the very first point of order is to learn about the Hajj. To go and learn about deen, in fact. We have to learn everything there is to know about our deen, at least to a basic degree. We need to know how to make salah properly and all of those beautiful things. But we really need to understand hajj before we can decide that we are ready for hajj. Because only through learning will we know the conditions of undertaking hajj. Only through knowledge will we know how to undertake hajj properly. And then one could decide, okay, I'm ready to undertake this. And without that knowledge, you may find yourself in a situation where you accept accreditation or you're applying for a package and you're paying for this and you're ready for that. In the meantime, you're not actually doing things in the right way. So here you have such a, an important element of your life being done without any knowledge. This is not becoming of a believer. As Imam Ghazali rahimahullah ta'ala said, Al-amal bila ilm la yakun. Action without knowledge cannot be. And knowledge without action is craziness. So we need to know what we are getting ourselves into before we undertake this journey. And this will really assist us in terms of not having a bad niya or an improper niya. Having knowledge would also allow us the understanding of what it is that we're getting ourselves into physically, spiritually, emotionally. So we know and we can make an informed decision as to when to apply for accreditation and when we receive that accreditation, how to view it. That we understand the difference between the Qadda and Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a, an accreditation process that was placed into existence because of logistics. There's a big difference, but it's important that we can handle that difference not only from an uh, you know, emotional perspective, but also from a shari perspective. That we don't think of this calling as you know, Allah is saying that we must come and if we refuse, then it is we saying no to Allah. We must understand that it's not the same thing. We must also understand that the rules and regulations that Allah has put into place for the conditions of Hajj is not there to make things difficult. We understand, yes, that the prohibitively expensive prices make things difficult as they stand, but Allah's rules are not there to make things difficult. Allah wants ease for you. Allah does not want difficulty for you. Allah wants us to be by the means because the journey of Hajj is not an easy journey. 
And if we are not by the means, we are going to be harming ourselves and others in the process. And the amazing thing about Allah's Rahmah is that it's not like if you're not by the means, Allah is going to punish us or we're going to be losing out on something. No, it's in fact, if you're not by the means, then nothing is obligatory. No hajj is obligatory on a person. We may desire, we may desire, we may want and hope and dream of standing and saying labbaik on the plains of Arafah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right thing to do. We should base our deen on deen and not on feelings. We don't worship feelings, we worship Allah. And Allah Azza wa Jal has given us the rules and regulations of this spiritual journey of Hajj so that we don't allow our emotions to get the better of us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the knowledge and the understanding and may He grant us the opportunity to perform Hajj correctly with the proper niyyah, with our heads in the right place, with our priorities in the right place. May Allah Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal grant the Hajj of a Hujjaj to be a Hajjun Maqboolun Mabroorun Ameen Ya Rabbul Alameen. Until next time, wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad, subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.